Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 109 of Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. We talk pitching, and we're talking pitching during the postseason, and some other stuff as well with the playoffs beginning here. We do it with the five-time World Series champ, the Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn. We have the ace of research, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, our terrific producer, Dan Work with us as well. So the postseason's here. Uh, David's in Philly for Phil's Marlins. James is in Minnesota for Twins Blue Jays. I am home staring at the ceiling and uh, and thinking about how the Yankees can get back to the postseason here. Uh, right out of the gate, gentlemen, I would say Citizens Bank Ballpark in Philly, Target Field in Minnesota. They had the best fan atmosphere that bled through the TV on Tuesday during game one of the wild card round. Let's start with David here. How wild was the bank for game one between the Phillies and the Marlins? It truly was incredible. I mean, they have a perfect storm going on here in Philly where there's a nucleus of players who are well-known and well-loved by the fan base. You could see it in the jerseys in the stands. I mean, it was across the board from Harper and Turner and Rio Muto jerseys to really players of the past too, Utley, Rollins. I mean, it's just remarkable. And, you know, these fans are hungry. They had the run last year of the World Series. The expectations are high this year. Uh, Bryce Harper runs through a stop sign at third base and the place goes nuts as he slides in a home plate. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of 1995 old Yankee Stadium, the first playoff game for Don Mattingly right there. The way that feels fans were sold out. It was not only sold out. They were there early, a half hour, 45 minutes before the game. Wheeler gets a standing ovation walking out for his warm ups. I mean, that's the I mean, come early. They're there early. Uh, th that's the difference. They're, they're hungry, and uh, you really feel it when you're in that ballpark. James, what about Target Field? You talk about hungry fans. The Minnesota crowd was wild right from the first pitch, and it's an afternoon game, so it's hard to – you see in Tampa Bay, too, it's hard to get a, a big crowd on a, on a weekday afternoon, but the Twins fans were in it from the jump, and when Royce Lewis hit that first home run in the opening inning, the place went bananas. And it just built and built and built. Great defense from Carlos Correa on a play at the plate. Michael A. Taylor making some great catches in center field. And by the time Joan Duran was coming in to close it out, the place was up for grabs. It was great. And to just see all the people in the crowd who have been suffering for so long without a playoff win. And it, a lot of the guys on the Twins team, guys like Louis Varlin, who are from the area and grew up Twins fans, loving Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau, they were part of this too. It's awesome to see. Uh, I definitely want to touch on that that momentum that I guess the Phillies, the Twins, were able to pick up on day one. So there's still a lot to to figure out here, but how that momentum can carry a team, a wild card team, uh, into the weekend. So we'll touch about on that. We'll touch about uh, touch on the biggest takeaways, I guess, from day one. Uh, touch on Jordan Montgomery's big outing against the Rays over at the Trop. Also. The Mariners post-mortem. Interesting quotes from Jerry Depoto. Uh, we'll get into that. Some managers who are potentially looking for their next opportunity will have Yankees chat as well. Although we don't want to dig deep here uh, with, with the Yankees. We definitely want to give love to our, our Yankees faction, but it's the postseason now. So we have certain teams that we definitely want to keep a focus on as the playoffs get going. But let's begin like we do each week here with the opener. David, what do you have for us this week? 
Well, I, I think you guys know. I mean, I was a teammate of Tim Wakefield's uh, for a year and then obviously got to know him in a lot of charity events. Uh, that's the kind of guy he was. He was a Roberto Clemente Award winner. That is the most prestigious award that any ball player would ever want to win. Um, it, you know, Tim Wakefield passing away at such a young age, uh, just devastating to his teammates, to the fans who know him. Yankee fans know him well. I mean, he's the guy who threw the knuckleball to Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone knows him well. I mean, he's part of Yankee history uh, on, on both sides, really, when you think about that particular game. But uh, it, it, this one touched a nerve. This one touched the industry because of the type of guy he was, how young he was, the fact that his wife is going through pancreatic cancer at the same time uh, really is, is just uh, way too much. It's just too much for any one family to endure. Uh, this one hits home, you know, uh, 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 you can't say enough about Tim Wakefield and the kind of player he was, the kind of teammate he was, and the kind of person he was off the field. So, you know, uh, rest in peace, Tim Wakefield. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Well said, and so sorry to hear about Wakefield and such a, a unique career. Right. I mean, to have a guy in, in the modern game get by and succeed for so long with the knuckleball, such a, a finicky pitch and everything has to be just right. But when it is, that baby can be hard to hit. And for Wakefield to win 200 games with the knuckleball and it's something that you don't really see anymore. You know, the, when he was in his prime, you know, there were a couple of guys here and there still getting through with it. And, you know, R.A. Dickey winning a Cy Young with it. But nowadays, I know Matt Waldron is has dabbled, is has been up and down with it, but it's kind of hard to, to have a knuckleballer these days. And and for Tim Wakefield, a guy, like you said, Coney, to win the Roberto Clemente Award speaks to what kind of guy he was. And uh, it's a real loss in the baseball community. Yeah, never never had a, a bad word said about him, never heard a bad word said about Tim Wakefield well before this this news came out, you know, within the last week. And then you see how he, you know, he passes, unfortunately, quickly. Uh, but yeah, thoughts, our hearts go out to the Wakefield family. And again, his wife dealing with pancreatic cancer as well. Just an overwhelming amount of of sad news that no family, no individuals should be having to uh, meet with here in, in life. So you know, our, our, our thoughts, our hearts go out to the Wakefield family. Um, all right, guys, we've taken a look at at what we're seeing at the start of a wild card series and with the division series coming up here this weekend. That's what I want to focus on because you have obviously teams playing right now, and then you have the big dogs kind of waiting in the weeds, so to speak, with the division series beginning this weekend. Would you rather be a team with a first-round bye and be on that layoff that comes with it here, or would you rather be a team that plays gate, uh, great and, and gains momentum via the wildcard series? Which side would you want to be on? You know, I just just having been uh, in that position a few times in my career, I always opt to take the rest. And, you know, to me, it's if you're a good ball player, you know, you you can take that rest and especially on the pitching side and, and really get yourself ready to go. 
and then you save save some bullets, so to speak. I, I know that the extra round of playoffs really chooses up pitching, and it's high effort, high emotional pitching, high leverage spots. Every pitch means everything. So just from the pitching side, take the rest. And on the hitting side, I get it. You know, your timing can get thrown off. You're not, you're not. Uh, the wheels aren't greased, so to speak. You know, if you're playing every day, or if you really feel like your timing and your rhythm are good, sometimes a week off can throw that, throw that uh, kind of in, in up in the air. But I still say, just because of the pitching, you always take the rest. You get to save the bullets. There's so many layers of, of playoffs nowadays that that really could chew up your pitching. Save the pitching any chance you get, and let the offense adjust. I'm with Coney. I know there's always a lot of worries about rust and things like that, but the pitching part of this is paramount. And I know it was a big narrative last year, you know, with the ex ex further expanded playoffs, you get the ex the extra teams in the wild card round, and then you have the Braves and the Dodgers get knocked off by the Phillies and Padres and big upsets. And everyone chalked it up to, well, the Braves and Dodgers must have been rusty. Look, things happen in a, in a best of five series. I will always, always err on the side of, Getting your pitching straightened out. Rest your bullpen, guys, because the October road is very long now. You got to grind through each series. And for the wild card teams, and you even saw it yesterday, you're getting great pitching performances from Pablo Lopez, Zach Wheeler. And you're still needing to piece together and grind through seven outs, ten outs out of your bullpen. Teams like the Blue Jays were using their higher leverage guys while trailing because of the urgency of the postseason. And now you're going to have to get through game one, game two, game three only one day off going into the DS, your, your pitching might be chewed up by the time you even get to a division series against a team that you're going to be an underdog against anyway. That's a great point. Early on during that game when Gosman was having a lot of trouble, I mean, we saw Jordan Romano get up and warm up in the bullpen, but you had like three different relievers uh, get up and then sit down. And that's just one tiny example of how stressful – these situations can be on your staff. So, yeah, this is a unanimous take here. Uh, more rest, the better. And for some big-time teams like the Braves and the Dodgers, I mean, just right there with adversity throughout their pitching staff, especially with Atlanta late here the last couple of weeks, why not get all your ducks in a row exactly the way you want it? It's a huge opportunity for that. More rest. And, again, for the, with the Dodgers, it's, it's kind of right now, at least right now, Clayton Kershaw and then you know, past game one of whomever they face in the division series. So it's just a chance for everyone to line up their pitching staff perfectly. You may see some rust with the hitting, like Coney said, but pitching trumps all in these situations. And I think the more rest, the better. So I'm with, with both of you here. Um, biggest takeaway from day one of the wild card round, what sticks out the most? Corbin Carroll's good at baseball. <laughs> one other, I mean, you know, all kidding aside, the Arizona Diamondbacks have, have uh, surprised everybody all year long, and they stole game one. And now they have Zach Gallon going in game two. So, you know, it's 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 time to see a, a team that's ahead of the curve because of the rules changes. Everybody's talking about the game. You need more athletic. Things has sped up seemingly overnight. The stolen base is back in vogue. Uh, defensively, players that, that are athletic and move around the field because of the lack of shift seem to matter a little bit more. Uh, so it, that's the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks are ahead of the curve with team speed. Corbin Carroll, probably the best example of speed and power that you have going in the game today. I mean, he had a 443-foot home run in that game 
for the Diamondbacks. So, uh, yeah, to me, that's it. That my my number one takeaway is even though there's great stories all the way around, and James is in Minnesota talking about their first win in a couple of decades almost. Uh, that that probably is the best story for for a, an organization and a fan base. But the Arizona Diamondbacks and their athleticism for introducing themselves to to the the world of Major League Baseball. That game one with Corbin Carroll against Brandon Fought was one of the biggest ERA disparities in any game one pitching matchup mm -hmm. ever. And the Diamondbacks end up pulling that off. So now the Brewers, yes, they're at home, but they're going to have to pull off wins in game two and game three against Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly. And they do not have Brandon Woodruff. But, Coney, I'm going to go to the game that you did. Zach Wheeler is that dude. Wheeler, six and two-thirds strong, five hits, one run, no walks, eight strikeouts. He came out. You know, you – you wonder, oh, postseason adrenaline, how does this affect guys? He was throwing two miles an hour harder on his fastball in the first inning. He was averaging 98, and he drops that sweeper, too. That was a great pitch for him. He struck out five guys with it. And Zach Wheeler becoming one of the great postseason pitchers of his time because he's up to seven career playoff starts now, and he has a 2.55 ERA. He was so big for them last year as they went on their Cinderella run to the World Series. And with Aaron Nola being more of a question mark this year, it's all the more important that Wheeler carries the load. So if they can get by, I'm going with the first game that was played over a sloppy defensive game from the race. That took me by surprise as Tampa Bay falls to the Rangers. They had four errors in game one. But conversely, what were we talking Talking about down the stretch here, the Rangers pitching staff, so spotty. You have Jordan Montgomery tossing seven shutout innings, starting game one for this team. Aroldis Chapman hitting 101, pitching a scoreless inning. LeClerc uh, getting getting the, the last outs in a non-save situation. So the bullpen coming through with two scoreless. And I know there was less than 20,000 fans at the Trop, but that place will get loud for its home teams. So late inning situations, it's only a four-run lead. You had, you know, Six outs to get, and that Ranger bullpen looked exactly as they hoped it would look once they were designing it. But uh, yeah, seven shutout from Montgomery, and then Chapman and Leclerc take the rest. So it's a it's a combination of both. The Rangers pitching, throwing up zeros against the Rays offense, and the Rays defense really coming up empty and faltering out of the gate here. Um, uh, very surprising to me on day one. More Tone the Slab is coming up. People, I need to tell you about a special offer from DraftKings because the NFL season is officially here. We've partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official partner of the National Football League, to bring all new customers an exciting way to join in on the action right now. New customers, download the DraftKings app, use the promo code SLAB, S-L-A-B, Betches five bucks and boom, $200 in bonus bets hit your account instantly. That's right. New customers who bet only $5 will get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Staying on the action, use your $200 in bonus bets on DraftKings parlays. Combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry. You can still get another fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they offer cash prize contests for nearly every sport. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use the promo code SLAB. Again, S-L-A-B. Betches five bucks on any wager and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Let's talk about Jordan Montgomery here because... 
think about where this guy was just just a year and a half ago or so. The Yankees thought he wasn't good enough to fit into their playoff rotation. Now he's starting game one of a playoff series. Obviously, different different circumstances with the Rangers and the injuries to their pitching staff. But like, does a guy going seven innings in game one of a short series does it provide any big carryover effect, or does it just stop at the end of game one? Well, it's, it does have a carryover effect. It builds confidence, in, in, especially when a team has lost uh, their best starting pitchers, the injuries that the Rangers have endured, whether it's going back to Jacob deGrom or Max Scherzer and what Max Scherzer's future holds. Will, will he be available at all this postseason at some point? We still don't know. Uh, we know the Rangers have really good offense. You know, that up the middle, they're exceptionally strong. Uh, you know, it's uh, you think about Simeon and, and, and Seager, it's that's as good as it gets up the middle. So they can bang. And now all of a sudden, hey, they can hang their hat on Jordan Montgomery as, as a guy that can be counted on. That's a huge lift for them as a team. Uh, and Jordan Montgomery, and you think about this, and to your point, James, wow, the, the Mets let Zach Wheeler go and the Yankees let Jordan Montgomery go. So, yeah, that's that's a little so a, a little bit of a slap in the face if you're if you're. If you want to have revisionist history and go back and re- relitigate those those uh, those decisions by the organizations, uh, but yes, it's to see them do well. I'm sure their ex teammates love them. Wheeler's a great guy. Monty's a great guy. So I'm sure everybody that played with them are, are really happy for those two guys. But yes, it matters. Monty matters for the Rangers because of their offense and uh, their their need for somebody to hang their hat on in the rotation. Well, Jordan Montgomery was a good pitcher. We saw him for a long time in New York. He was a good pitcher with the Yankees. He's been great for the Rangers. From 2017 as a rookie until through last year, he had a solid 3.85 ERA. That's good enough for a 110 ERA plus, meaning he was 10% better than the average pitcher when adjusting for the league scoring level and the ballpark and all that. With the Rangers, he has a 2.79 ERA with a 1.60 ERA plus, 60% better than average. And that's basically you, you. You could have hoped for that from Max Scherzer when they made that trade. And now with him out of the picture, it's all the more important that Montgomery steps up, and he sure did. And as far as a carryover effect, well, let's see how Nathan Evaldi does in Game Two against the Rays and the the drama of this wild card series, guys. The, the swings can be really wild from, from game to game because right now you're looking at it. The Rays had a sloppy game and the Rangers are riding high, but all it takes is one game, one inning to swing it back to the Rays. And you say, okay, well, here's the Rays team we've been watching all year. And then all of a sudden it could go down to a winner take all game three. And if Evaldi doesn't have a similar type of game to Montgomery, you could really tax the bullpen and then you'd be really up against it in a deciding game three. So in all of four of these series, you could really see a lot of swings as far as pitch usage and just as far as the general momentum in the series. Talking about pitch usage, I, I mean, I have the 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 pitch selection here for Jordan Montgomery in game one, and it just is, is an example of how cerebral of a pitcher he's become, the type of mature pitcher that he's grown into. Uh, in the regular season, his sinker was being thrown over 40% of the time. On In game one, he had his four pitches, his sinker, his changeup, his curve, and his four-seamer, which he really limited to just over 10% of the time during the regular season. All four of those pitchers were thrown between 20 and 30% of the time. So he really mixed it up, threw a big curveball 
no pun intended there, to that Rays lineup coming through with seven scoreless. And this is a guy who's going to be a free agent here. Is, is Jordan Montgomery the most coveted free agent pitcher to the offseason domestically? You know, not, not leaving Yamamoto out of this equation. Obviously, he's going to attract the most attention. But am I missing someone, guys? Is, is Jordan Montgomery going to be the most coveted free agent domestic pitcher? Well, it's a great point because of, you know, what you do in postseason, it really does attract a lot of attention, including where he is right now. Texas needs him. So and they, they're they spending and they're on the move and they're within their window of opportunity and they have pitchers that are injured that, that might need some time to come back. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's a perfect fit right where he is with a team that with an organization that has the resources to spend. But, yes, uh, I think when you pitch in postseason for a particular organization and you come through, that makes you more valuable all over, but especially with that team in and of itself. I mean, he's winning over that fan base down there, and he's winning over that organization. It becomes harder to say goodbye, right? It, it, it's hard for the front office to look at that and be like, oh, well, well, we can replace him. Well, maybe not. So it's uh, it's not only a, a showcase for Montgomery here, but also even with his own team, like you said, Coney. And uh, as far as a domestic uh, free agent-to-be pitcher, well – We'll be seeing him in the Blue Jays twin series. Sonny Gray is another guy who's really made himself a lot of money uh, going into the offseason here. He's really bounced back after being one of the better pitchers in the league in Oakland, the Rocky times in, in New York, and then moving on. He's been terrific in Cincinnati, Minnesota, and Pablo Lopez getting a big game in game one, handing the ball to Sonny Gray. The twins have not had pitching like this in a long time. And surprise, surprise, they're actually lined up to do something in October for once. That's right. I did miss Sonny Gray, a guy who's going to be a Cy Young finalist probably uh, in, in the American League. Yeah, Twins have a lot of momentum here uh, going up against the Blue Jays. One team that was fighting a team like Toronto, fighting a team like the Rangers, the Astros, over the last final weeks of the uh, of the regular season, the Mariners, 88 wins, fell just short, was eliminated What with uh, during the, the game 161. Over the final weekend, Seattle held its end-of-season post-mortem on Tuesday. And the president of baseball operations, Jerry Depoto, he gave his, his long-term view of the team. Again, 88 wins this season, made the playoffs last year, falls short of the postseason this year. They missed the playoffs. He said that they've raised the floor of this team in Seattle. And he probably could have just left it at that. But then Depoto went a little bit deeper. Take a listen. If you go back and you look in a decade, those teams that win 54% of the time always wind up in the postseason, and they more often than not wind up in World Series. You know, so there's your, your bigger picture process. Nobody wants to hear the goal this year is we're going to win 54% of the time because sometimes 54% is, is some, one year you're going to win 60%, another year you're going to win 50%. You know, it's whatever it is. But over time, that type of mindset gets you there. If what you're doing is focusing year to year on what do we have to do to win the World Series this year, you might be one of the teams that's laying in the mud and can't get up for another decade. So we're actually doing the fan base a favor <laughs> and asking for their patience to win the World Series while we continue to build a sustainably good roster. All right, so I hear what Jerry's saying. Those are a bit tough, but uh, I hear what the message he's trying to convey. I, I don't think he should have went that deep for a, a fan base that, hey, is probably pissed right now. What do you guys think? 
you know, I, I kind of agree with you, Shaq. I mean, maybe that's better for a sabermetric conference, you know, with a room full of like-minded nerds. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe that was better left there, but I get what he's saying. And you hear some sort of version of that through every organization. You're hearing it over across town with the Mets right now, building a sustainable uh, winning team, farm system, everything clicking on, you know, trades, free agency, everything's working together. Uh, sign the right guys, evaluate your own talent, uh, develop your own talent, draft, international draft, everything comes together. And that's how you, you build a sustainable winner. And that you could have left it at that, you know, this, the whole 54% of the time thing that that's, that's more for number crunchers, people in the, in the room that are number crunchers, not really for, you know, a, a season ending press conference that goes out to try to grow grow your fan base, you know, that, that that's going to be probably lost in translation. I, I get the sentiment of raising the floor, trying to make it so, Hey, even our down year is still pretty good and all that. But the, the whole 54% thing, guys, it's 87 wins. The, the, you're you're aiming too low and even, okay. If I, and he's talked about, you know, the, 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 the cream of the crop type of team. Teams. The Astros, they, they didn't win 54% of the games. They won 62% of their games. That's that's 100 wins a season. That's the kind of floor that you want to set. Look at the Dodgers this year. They scaled back uh, payroll and, you know, it's kind of a reset year. Boom, they win the division again, and they're, and they're in the top four in the league yet again. The Astros, a, five, a 57% of the time, a 574 winning percentage. That's 95 wins. Yankees, 563. All right. 56 doesn't seem that much more than 54, but even that's still 91, 92 wins. That's the kind of floor you want to set and say, okay, this is our this is our baseline. And then if we overperform by a few games, we're winning 100 games. The Mariners are nowhere near that level. And it is just a, a, a sort, sort of a very uh, tone deaf sort of uh, comment from Trader Jerry. Yeah, they're, they're nowhere near that level. And yet it, it just sounds like you're trying to condition your fans to settle for less. Wrong fan base to do that too. After the long drought that they had, that was just broke last year. But yeah, how about you up the ante a little bit? Venture dare greatly to sixty percent, Jerry. I mean, come on here. Um, just a complete word salad that I don't think needed to uh, come out as a message to to the fan base there uh, for for the Mariners. So a tough ending, and then you get that in their post-mortem. Not exactly what a Mariners fan wants to hear there. Uh, we saw a few managers get shown the door, um, some justly, some not, in my opinion. Uh, I think it was uh, the wrong way for the Mets to handle the exit of Buck Showalter, him announcing his own firing uh, the, in the next to last day of the season. But you have Showalter, you have Gabe Kapler, Phil Nevin, they all lose their managing jobs. Uh, obviously, Showalter with the Mets, Nevin with the Angels, Kapler with the Giants. Which individual do you think receives another managing job out of that trio? Uh, I'm not sure about managing, but I do see, you know, Buck Showalter or Gabe Kapler uh, as somebody who could really help an organization. Uh, you know, I, I, Phil Nevin's a great coach too, as well. I mean, well-liked. Yeah, I, You know, I, Joel Sherman of, of the Post wrote a good article about Buck Showalter coming to the Yankees as sort of a, quality control guy in the front office. Uh, that That's an interesting topic for me for Buck Walter. Um, it seems to me that 
there's a new market inefficiency that that was kind of the, the buzz phrase from years ago you know that 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 was moneyball market inefficiency looking for market inefficiencies the new market inefficiency is experience is uh, the old school baseball lifer whether you're a scout or a coach or even a manager like a previous manager like Buck Showalter that was kind of shown the door that was kind of almost arrogantly shown uh, the out the door because you know what you're you're not fluent in today's metrics you're not fluent in the new school of uh, the way of thinking and maybe we were a little harsh in that maybe the industry in and of itself has lost sight of the value of experience and the balance between new school and old school and the Atlanta Braves are kind of showing the way in that way yeah, they're showing the way forward their whole coaching staff is all ex-players and Walt Weiss sort of runs the meetings with the analytics department and he's the guy that kind of filters all of the new information and decide, you know, and decides on, you know, at least has the ability to, to sort of understand the players and how to interpret that information and get it to the players and who can handle information and who can't. Some players don't need all that information. They can't handle it. Um, I heard Al Leiter talk about it's like alphabet soup for some of these guys in their minds. They just can't process all that information. Some guys can, you know, uh, some guys really do can, can handle all that information, but, the, the moral to the story is for me is that people with the experience that Buck Showalter has yeah, and even Phil Nevin, for that matter, uh, it's kind of a new market inefficiency. So there's a place in an organization for them. I don't know if it's a managerial spot or not. Gabe Kapler will always land on his feet. He's got a wealth of experience. He's very progressive. I don't know if, of all the guys, maybe he's a guy that might get another chance, but he's already had two, but he certainly has some value in an organization. He's been a farm director. He understands all aspects of how the modern the modern organizations are run. So I'm not sure if he gets a third shot or not, Gabe Kapler. But I do think there's a place in organizations for guys with experience. And I think that really is, as I said before, the new market inefficiency is actual experience, boots on the ground experience. I think my, my money would probably be on Kapler. He's the youngest of, of the bunch. So maybe he's got a little more time to to maybe get that new job, even if it isn't, you know, next year or the year after landing on his feet elsewhere. And even if it's not in a dugout cone, you mentioned his, his front office experience. He was a director of player development for the Dodgers, a very successful uh, organization there. So maybe he could go down that road. And then you just look at the three, the three managers who've been uh, shown the door and you say, well, how much of this is any of their fault really? You know, now, Buck Walter. Now the Mets have been a colossal disappointment in both of the last two years. So I'm not going to argue with you if you say, well, then that'll be enough. And they can kind of start over with Stearns and then they bring in, he, he can bring in his own manager or what have you. But, you know, Buck Walter was the manager of the year last year. Gabe Kapler was the NL manager of the year two years ago. He's the same guy who won 107 games two years ago. And now he's a dunce. I, that's not really how it works, but you just, think, well, how much of this is really on the manager to begin with? And even a guy like Phil Nevin, you know, for all the, the the clownery going on in the Angels organization, that predates and that predates Phil Nevin, and that will be going on long after he's gone from there too. Well said there. I'm going to pick a, a direct name, and I'm going to have a, a direct landing spot for Buck Showalter. I think the Cleveland Guardians can do – whole lot worse than a guy like Buck Showalter. And I think for the reasons, David, you you outlined finding the market inefficiency right now, it is experience. They had it with Terry Francona. They have that perfect balance, that blend of relaying information and then letting the dugout 
and the coaching staff trying to figure out what is appropriate to peg. I think Buck Showalter on the surface would look like a good fit for the Cleveland Guardians. I would pick up the phone and be calling Buck if I am that Cleveland front office right now. So I'm going to say Buck, even though he's 67, he's the oldest of the bunch. Hey, age is just a number right now. Like you mentioned, Brian Snitker, Dusty Bakers in his mid seventies. And uh, you have Bruce Bochy approaching 70. I think Buck Showalter and Cleveland are, are a nice match. So I may be wrong on that, but that, that's what I believe. Uh, let's talk about the Yankees, guys. Team meetings reportedly taking place this week in Tampa Bay. And after an 82-80 and 80 finish to this season, obviously an underwhelming season, a disappointing season. We know all this. And it sounds like more than personnel changes, you're going to have a focus on philosophy and potential change in in ideas and that's likely being discussed at these meetings in tampa bay but something grabbed my attention when we we're in kansas city over the final weekend of the season rumors swirling about whether the yankees invited sean casey back as the hitting coach and as they look to fix what has happened to this offense it was no secret the previous hitting coach dylan lawson he came from the minors he sort of incorporated his hitting philosophy from top to bottom throughout that organization. David, I'm wondering, first thing here, how common is that? Like, how common is it for the major league coach, whether it's on the pitching side, the hitting side, to pretty much outline and design the hitting philosophy for it to run down through the lowest parts of the organization? Was that something just because Lawson came through the minors, or is that something that a former big leaguer, a three-time all-star in Sean Casey is going to have to do if he comes back as a hitting coach for the major league club? Great questions all the way around, really. And we've seen this on the pitching side, really, where organizations are trying to uh, incorporate all the technology up and down the minor league system and, and teach guys, you know, everything we know about grips or pitch design, uh, whether it's the whirly or the sweeper that we've seen kind of take over the game. And the Yankees called it the whirly. Now it's the sweeper. Everybody in the organization kind of learning how to to uh, to make the ball break that way, learning the concept of seam shifted wake. So yeah, you can understand the, the having a uniform strategy top to bottom throughout the organization and getting the buy-in from every coach up and down the system so that you don't have different philosophies being taught and then in sort of mixed messaging being being had by these players as they develop up through the system. Now the hitting side's catching up with that. Um, the problem with that is, is that there's more than, than one way to go about it, especially on the hitting side. Uh, I think that's where the rubber meets the road right now. Uh, yeah, I just skipped Schumacher yesterday. Uh, the manager of the Marlins he came from the St. Louis Cardinals organization. And he talked about, you know, modern analytics preaching pulled fly balls and, you know, exit velocity and pulled fly balls. Certainly we get it. You get a pitch you can pull and hit it in the air, your OPS goes through the roof. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a recipe for, for really lighting up some big slugging numbers. The, the problem is, is if you start hunting pulled fly balls, really good pitchers can expose that and get you to roll over and hit ground balls, which is the exact opposite of what modern analytics teaches. Get the ball off the ground, hit the ball in the air, drive the ball, hit good pitches, hit strikes hard. That was Dylan Lawson's kind of motto there, right? But Don Mattingly said it best. He said, you know, hitting is about adjustments. You have to you have to adjust your swing where the pitch is pitched, the speed of the pitch, 
sometimes a, a line drive over the shortstop's head is the best thing you can do or hitting the ball the other way is the best thing you can do, depending on what the pitcher is featuring. So that's sort of the, the balance there between new school and old school philosophy. And when you're looking at it, when you're looking at the metrics, it's easy to, to, to cherry pick out something. Hey, let's do this more because these are what the numbers say. But really, uh, experience on the ground says something different. And so, yes, if you're teaching a uniform philosophy down through the Yankees organization or any organization that says, you know what, we're trying to do this. We're trying to we're trying to have the highest exit velocity, exit velocity. We're trying to get the ball of the air to the pull side. That's where the damage is done. That's what we want to teach up and down the organization. And is that really the best way to go about it with the best pitchers in the world who can expose that kind of a theory of a hitting style? with off-speed pitches down and away, with a certain strategy that can really punch a hole in, in that sort of one-dimensional hitting philosophy. All of these things are good. You know, it, it's sometimes it's not that complicated. You know, exit velocity. It's just hitting the ball hard. The best teams at it. The Braves, the Rangers, they're also really good at scoring runs. And you, you mentioned the, uh, the pull fly balls. Well, not even getting into any, you know, deep in the weeds analytics, the batting average on pulled fly balls is 492. So there's something behind that. And you see the career resurgence of someone like a Marcus Simeon who remade his offensive game by pulling the ball in the air. Now, one size does not fit all. And there are certain pitches that you just can't pull in the air. But as a general philosophy, yes, it's good to hit the ball in the air. It's good to pull the ball. And for all the, the hand-wringing about launch angle, this is something that is often overlooked. Line drives are launch angle too, because it's not just about hitting the ball in the air. It's more about not hitting the ball on the ground. How easy is it to maybe reverse some of these philosophies and strategies at the major league level? Like how deep do the Yankees need to go here? Do they, do they have the wrong hitters? Do they have the wrong approach or, or both after what we saw this past season? Well, I, I think it's, it's probably a combination of everything. You know, the diverse skill sets. I mean, obviously you want good players and good hitters first and foremost. Yeah. But secondly, you know, you guys have heard me say this on here quite often is that diverse styles are good too. You know, lefty, righty, uh, line drive, home run, uh, speed and power. I mean, diverse skill sets are really important. That presented a problem for me when I was on the mound. I was facing a lot of different diverse skill sets in the lineup, one through nine. If you gave me a lineup as a right-handed strikeout pitcher in my prime, if you gave me a lineup of Conseco, McGuire, Stanton, Judge, a, a, a bevy of right-handed pulled fly ball hitters that hit the ball hard with high exit velocity, I guarantee you I'm going to I'm gonna have a lot of success against those guys because I'm going to get into a groove and find my release point on my slider and then mess around with release points on that slider and throw sweepers and a, a variety of breaking balls against all those right-handed power guys trying to pull fly balls, I'm going to have success. I just am. I always did in, the, in that situation when I faced those type of hitters. Now, if you you bounced me back and forth and you gave me, uh, you know, a Christian Yelich in the middle of there, a left-handed hitter that can hit the ball the other way, or a Wade Boggs or a Tony Gwynn in between those big home run hitters, that's going to throw me off. That's going to that's gonna make me change my – my release point that's going to put extra stress on me that I've got to make different pitches. I've got to make pitches that move different ways. Uh, I've got to control different parts of the strike zone much better because of the diversity of bouncing back and forth and the stylistic differences between 
home run right-handed hitters and line drive left-handed hitters to take the ball the other way, possibly if I try to pitch them away. So diversity matters. And I know the Yankees have tried to do that. They signed Anthony Rizzo. Uh, they tried to develop guys in their minor leagues like Esteban Floreal, who was a power hitting lefty outfielder with some speed. I know, I know that they've tried to get more and more diversity in, in their lineup, but you know, at the same time, they got into a rut where they thought that, you know what, our right-handed batters go the other way. Our right-handed batters can hit the ball out of the ballpark in Yankee Stadium the other way, and we're going to be okay with that. And that cost them. It just did. Other teams around the league, including the Rays and several teams in the American League East, talked about it, saying, we just we just revamped our bullpen to, to get to that lane of right-handed hitters late in games, and we felt really good about it because we had a, a lot of right-handed relief pitchers that threw hard and had sweeping breaking balls that could exploit that dominant right-handed lineup of the Yankees that were all power hitters. So it was a mistake. It's now very clear it was a mistake to think that way. And that's part of, I guess, uh, the reevaluation that the Yankees have to do uh, in terms of, you know what, getting a little more balance in their lineup and get a little more diversity in there as well. Well, it's the mirror image of something we hear a lot about pitching, right? Whether it's rotation or the bullpen and the combination where we bring out the old, the old, face of the clock where, you know, you have, you have release points over here, left, right, sidearm, straight over the top, different pitch types. And it's, it's a, a real whirlwind for batters to deal with. So it's kind of that, that same mirror image on the hitting side, as far as the, the approach. Well, look, this, this the Yankees also scored the most runs in the major leagues for over several years, up until this year when, you know, they hit the wall and, Contrary to popular opinion, they don't strike out all the time. They have a below average strikeout rate, a better than average strikeout rate over the last six, seven years. Now, granted, this year they were 10th highest. So that was, that was an increase from years past. But overall, they don't chase pitches out of the zone. They don't strike out a ton. So as far as a hitting approach, I'm not sure if that's really the problem. I think it's just a matter of a lot of their guys got old at the same time. And this was something that maybe the, the cliff was coming Maybe you could have foreseen this in 24, 25, 26, but not in 2023 after the success that the offense has had over from 2017 to 22. There were no problems with the offense as far as just racking up runs and and okay, they run into some big time pitching staffs in the ALCS. But beyond that, it's I don't think it's really an approach issue. They just like you just need better hitters. I'm glad you you mentioned that they're the perception of a bunch of hitters getting old at once. I, I have a hard time believing that it happens to a collection of guys just like that in one single season. And I know a lot of focus has been on John, a guy like John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Boone said he has a big off season ahead of him. And people talk about certain adjustments a hitter like that can make. And, and David, when you are hitting a certain age, I know it's tough to to touch on like what hitters can do. Maybe it's not, but what type of insight can you give us here for for guys that are approaching their mid thirties? What their off season changes need to be compared to their their younger ages. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, there's a couple of things you can do. Obviously, everybody has their own guru nowadays. I mean, you know, we were uh, we're talking about uh, we were talking about Luis Arise here in Philadelphia, um, and here's a guy who's got his own hitting coach that he zooms with every morning. He has his hitting his batting tee in his hotel room. And he's going over his, his routine uh, every day with his own hitting coach. Now, with, with the modern technology now, especially with regards to biomechanics and the study of how the human body moves and the chain, the kinetic chain of, of, of what's efficient, what's non-efficient, being able to identify the efficiency, the efficiency of how your body moves is something that I think every hitter and every pitcher should utilize. And I think Stanton's probably in that category now about, you know, I need a reevaluation of how my body moves where my weaknesses are and then also you know strategy wise his approach at the plate and then secondarily obviously physically how he trains his body how he gets his body in better shape you know we really saw a diminished player last year and that was that culminated in him trying to score from first base on a double and Luis, Luis Rojas the third base coach said to men and he almost he almost uh, was jogging home trying to protect protect his legs his lower half from injury and that's a compromised player. He needs to figure that out physically. He needs to do a better job of, of training, of, of, of finding out what, what the problems are. And just not just from age, but also the, the fact that this keeps happening year in and year out. The chronic condition of his lower half needs to be addressed. And then obviously his swing and the biomechanic nature of his chain, the chain reaction and the kinetic chain needs to be addressed as well. And then secondly, also the approach. A lot of times late in the year, we'd see him take a fastball right down the middle almost automatically on the first pitch. And John Carlos Stanton needs to be a guy that if you throw a first pitch fastball to, he's going to murder it. And that's, that's what I want to think. If I'm facing John Carlos Stanton, I need to be a little wary of like throwing him a first pitch fastball that gets a lot of the plate. Um, I want to see him take a vicious swing at those pitches next year. And what that does to me as a pitcher, you know, in my approach towards a hitter that does that, is like, oh, I got to be a little more careful here. You're chasing me out of the strike zone, or maybe I got to start throwing a lot more breaking stuff. And it puts the pitcher on the defensive. John Carlos Stanton should be a hitter that puts the, de- the pitcher on the defensive. And how you do that is take a wild lash at that first pitch fastball down the middle. Do not spot me any strikes. Because uh, if you do, then, you know, I'm going to have you. I'm going to go to work on you there. I'm going to work you over with breaking balls if you're going to spot me a fastball down the middle for strike one. Sometimes that first pitch is the best pitch you get in the whole at bat, right? Absolutely. And we saw him, especially down the stretch, almost just, just take automatically take first pitch fastballs a lot late. So you can just see the, the indecisiveness there. You want to be decisive, hunt first pitch fastballs and go from there and adjust as you go. And I think the, the tough part for Yankee fans at this moment, we're at the very beginning of this offseason here. They're going to have to wait a long time now to see whether or not some of these adjustments that are coming up to certain players, they pay off. So it's the waiting game again for fans. And as fans, we don't like to wait here. 
thankfully, we have an electric start to the postseason. We have the division series coming up this weekend as well. We have Coney on the call for the remainder of the wildcard series in Philly. James, part of the K-Rod crew in Minneapolis. So continue to tune into these great wildcard series, the division series uh, coming up. Guys, you could be, I mean, you could be done with work by the end of the day. You could be joining me on the offseason line. That's it. Pack it up and go. I've got a car here. I'll drive back to New York if, if, if need be. If not, I'll stay another night and do another game. I'm happy for the Twins. I wouldn't mind an, a game three either. So we'll just we'll see how it goes. Just make sure you leave with a homer, Hanky James. <laughs> you got to bring one of those. All right, that's going to do it here for this week's episode, guys. We will talk to you next week. Appreciate you listening here. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a single thing that we're streaming each week. For David Cohn in Philly, for James Smythe in Minneapolis, and for our terrific producer, Dan Wark, this is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next time on Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care, everybody.